Hello, and welcome to episode 86 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. If you are listening to this for the first time, thank you so much for checking out The Modern Manager. I am so glad that you have decided to give this a try, and I hope that you find this episode super useful. And for all of you longtime listeners, thank you for coming back time and time again. I know there are a lot of podcasts that you could be listening to right now, so thank you for choosing to spend your time with me today. Now, a warm welcome to Ann R. and Brittany S. to the Modern Manager community. I hope you're finding all the additional content and guest bonuses and other benefits to be valuable. And because you have joined right now, you are eligible for last week's guest bonus, which is from Steve Sisler of episode 85. He has offered an incredible guest bonus. One member will be drawn at random to receive a full behavioral, motivational, and axiological analysis and a 90-minute debrief. This is insane, and I actually kind of wish that I could just take this guest bonus because it's that good. So if this sounds interesting to you, and it really should because it's amazing, go to mamieks.com slash join to learn more about memberships. All right, today's guest is Tevis Trower. She has been called a corporate mindfulness guru and helps organizations optimize their most precious assets, humans. She has served clients in over 70 markets and has worked with a number of big names like HBR, PwC, Google, AOL Huffington Post on mindfulness, executive lifestyle, mastery, innovation, and sustainable success. And she's a forever beginner guitarist, snowboarder, and surfer. Tevis and I talk about the power of the beginner mindset, the root causes of employee disengagement, how to gain perspective on your own behaviors that could be contributing to a poor culture, and the challenges of trying to change the leadership above you. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Tavis, it is such a pleasure to have you today. There are a million things we could start with, but I have to ask you about something in your bio because it says you're a forever beginner guitar player, and I am also feeling like a forever beginner guitar player. So why are you forever a beginner? Oh my God. (laughs) I love it that you picked that out of everything. So I am a forever beginner guitar player because it's been this passion as an adult. I've just had this kind of a fantasy, like, what if I could really shred on the guitar? And having a busy life and having uh, competing hobbies and commitments means that I have to really make it a practice to practice. Kind of like people say, if you're going to meditate, you've got to make it a practice. You just have to show up and do it. And part of what I realized was that I could say I was going to do that. And then I would always have 5 million things step in and get in the way, right? There would always be an excuse not to reach for my guitar. But the biggest excuse going on is this voice of judgment inside my head saying, why are you bothering? It's a waste of time. You could be doing more productive, like all those adulting, right? Kind of running commentary in the back of my mind, really uh, discrediting the reality that when I reach for my guitar, even though I'm not good at it, even though 
I struggle, even though my fingers don't move as quickly as I want them to. Something about this experience gives me both total absorption and it puts my heart at ease. My blood pressure goes down, right? And the reason I say I'm a forever beginner at that is that chances are I'm never going to be like Stevie Ray Vaughan, right? Chances are I'm never going to be a virtuoso on the guitar. But what happens when you're a beginner is you stop having that expectation, right? And you really move into this place of it's okay for me to be learning exactly what I'm learning right now. And so that's kind of my commitment is to stay in that place because the minute I get all judgy about how good I am or whether or not I can sing and play around a campfire without offending friends and animals, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's really the goal. But that also goes uh, for surfing and snowboarding. There are a lot of things I love that I'm really not super good at. So the question for me always becomes, how do I really stay in the beginner mind with this? Because if I get into judgy mind, I'll probably not be leaving the house very much or doing a lot of the things I love. We could have a whole conversation just on that topic, which I would so love to do, but that was not what we planned today. So we're actually going to not talk about that, even though there's so much there to dig into. And instead, we're going to talk about employee engagement. All right. So on that note, we have all heard all the depressing numbers and the Gallup polls on the abysmal employee engagement and just how people are not engaged and corporate engagement programs are not working. So you have a slightly different take on this. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. So I know probably all of your listeners, no matter if they're a solopreneur, a startup, a corporate maven, like everybody knows those numbers. And what's interesting is that those numbers have been trotted around by all the pundits really for about as long as I've been in business. I started the company 17 years ago, and we've all been talking about it ever since then, which has given a birth to this industry of employee engagement, employee well-being, employee resiliency, all kinds of learning and development tools and modalities, like emotional intelligence, you name it, right? It has literally, like everyone in this space just needs to get down on their knees every morning and give thanks to whoever they give thanks to that Gallup started, started measuring this stuff because literally it's how most of us have a job. But the problem is with all this money going into employee engagement and all these ways of addressing it, we're actually not talking about what creates employee disengagement. And we're not talking about the root of employee disengagement. And the root of it is really at the C-suite, right? They say that fish rot from the head, right? And It was interesting. I was having a conversation with Liz Cole. Liz is this just dynamo of a woman. She is the CHRO for Marsh, which is one of the most respected consultancy slash brokerage firms probably on the planet. And she and I had a really meaningful chat this summer, and we were talking about that they had been growing through both 
the acquisition of talent and the acquisition of actual companies, right? So they've been on this growth spurt in spite of already being the 900 pound gorilla in their space. They've been aggressively hiring the top people away from competition and buying the competition. Well, what does that mean? That means throughout their ranks of leadership, of top performers, there are a lot of people who used to sell by sheer virtue of not being part of Marsh, right? They used to sell on not being part of, quote unquote, the evil empire, right? Anyone who's ever sold against the top player knows what I'm talking about, right? This is not a character statement. It's just what you do, right? So she and I are talking about what what that's been like, what the challenges are, Etc. And what's interesting is Mercer's part of that family, and Mercer does tons of cultural studies, right? But just as is often the case, it's the shoemaker's daughter, right? A lot of what we know in house and we sell externally is not what we're applying internally. So she and I are talking about the cultural fallout from this growth strategy. And she's like, yeah, we've done all this cultural work. We've talked about our values. We've, you know, all this stuff. And I said, so how's it going? Which is not a very skillful question, right? Because it's not being exacting of what I was looking for. But she's sharp as a whip. And she turned around and said exactly what I wanted to know. And she said, oh, Tavis, it's great. Heads are nodding. And then we both laughed. Because the truth is, that when you talk about human values and a cultural perspective and you talk about it organizationally, right? All of us crawl into our inner Oprah and we go, oh yeah, treating people like human beings, collaboration, trust. Like we all hear those words and we go, oh yeah, I am all about that, right? (laughs) But the danger is that none of us are really examining where our underlying convictions and behaviors actually don't support creating that kind of culture. So what I'm really passionate about is executive engagement. Because having a bunch of people, and oftentimes guys, let's face it, right, sit around a table and nod their heads and have a facilitator like me or whoever else comes on your show, get them to agree that trust and teamwork and collaboration and diversity and inclusion and being your authentic self. I mean, how many times are we hearing that? Bring your authentic self to work. Bring your whole self to work. We're hearing all that. But but what's interesting is when heads are nodding, it's because we're forgetting that we are part and parcel of the culture that has that not feeling safe. And that means it's not just the guy to our right or the woman to our left or whoever across the table has to get a coach and learn to change how they behave. It means all of us as a team has to shift how we treat each other because that is exactly what is going to trickle out throughout the organization. And we've seen this time and time again, Mamie, that we can get people on board conceptually, but until there is a leader who is going to lay down the law and say, we've got to do some behavioral modification, we need to really take this on, nothing happens. So I see this with my clients too, where the people at the top, whether they're the manager or the senior leader, is totally head nodding and buying into the concepts 
but they don't see how their own behavior is actually inhibiting or they're unwilling to actually role model or do the hard work of changing their own actions. So are there things that people can do to start to build that self-awareness or to actually shift and start changing their own behaviors? Yeah, for sure. And I think what's important to differentiate is um, that whether you're in a huge organization or you're a solopreneur and working with some contractors, the elixir of self-deception can be present. It just takes different forms. So for the large, huge organization, there's been a bit of a ray of hope for those of us who watch corporate culture and the evolutions there. And we say, oh, great. They're hiring a chief culture officer, a chief people officer, a chief mindfulness officer, a chief talent, you know, all of those things. But what is oftentimes the case is that the CEO, the C-suite is bringing in that role, finding someone who's got a lot of street cred business-wise, but emotional intelligence and giving him or her, it's usually a her, a great salary, giving them a budget and basically saying, make these human problems go away, right? We don't want to deal with them. We have real work to do. So just make all of this go away. So that's one thing is really assessing if you're part of a large culture, is that what's happening? Because if that's what's happening, then some more transparent conversations have to be had about the reality that if the C-suite is not involved in serious behavioral assessment of their own impact, nothing is going to change. And you may as well let that person go to some other organization where they can do the good that they want to do. That's one thing. If you're running a smaller shop, you're a solopreneur, a lot of times you don't have access to the types of cultural diagnostic. You don't have the population to do the the, the data gathering that we're talking about that can be done in larger companies. And so that kind of becomes how do I call myself onto the mat, right? How do I ask myself what is going on that I could be doing differently to optimize my impact on my business relationships, both internally and externally, right? So there's a couple ways that you can do that. One is you can ask people for feedback. A lot of times they're not going to give it to you because they're afraid of hurting your feelings, right? You can anonymize it by making a survey of your own using any of the survey tools and tell them I'm sending this out to 20 people I've worked with over the past 10 years and your feedback would mean a lot to me. It's going to be anonymous, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the most important things I think any of us can do is carve out half an hour, an hour, and write every interaction that has gone wrong. Now, by that, I mean, do an inventory over the past year, over the past five years, over the past 10 years. What are the standout situations where things have gone wrong, where you automatically probably blame that other person? And by doing that kind of of a diagnostic, right, And looking at what are the common themes, right? And how, if this was a movie, how can I see what I brought to this interaction? Really, by diagnosing it out, by looking at the themes, 
by looking at the things that are repeated from one interaction to another, we can start to say, wow, well, there's one constant here and it's me. So how might I be putting this into play, right? And really doing some hard work from that perspective. And just as I think Eric Schmidt has said this, I know that Elon Musk has said this, although I don't know that he's a great role model. I know that Oprah has said this. I know many, many, many amazing leaders um, say this. You have got to hire, and yes, you have to hire someone to be an external voice of wisdom for you, someone to help you troubleshoot, to help mentor, to help guide you. Because if you are not getting that, it is too easy to, uh, to fall prey to self-deception. And so those are just kind of three points. If it's a huge company, make sure it's really in earnest and that you're not just trying to outsource the human uh, conundrum to someone who's probably under empowered to actually address it too. If you're running your own show, you can probably come up with some creative ways to get some metrics to measure off of and to get some transparent feedback from folks you have worked with. But third, sit down, scratch your head, search your heart and come up with some of the nastiest interactions you have had. Write them out and write them out from a perspective of everything that you did wrong. And you will start to see some themes that then can start to inform how you approach things. But on top of that, having some kind of external voice of wisdom that you are paying for. The reason it's important to to have that be a formalized relationship in which there is a services agreement, there's a fee, et cetera, et cetera, is that when there is that structure, it's going to force you to take it seriously and to show up. And that person is going to also have a sense that they are providing something for you that they are going to hold themselves accountable for really delivering on. So I think it's really great to have these informal kind of relationships and mentors, but it's not the same as having a paid professional who's there to help you get into your best, best leadership shape that you can possibly be in. I could not agree with you more on that. Um, so, you know, if you're inside of an organization, right, and so you can do this work for yourself. And, you know, if you're, if you have people above you, whether you're kind of directly underneath the C-suite or you're many layers below, you know, is it enough to do this for yourself and for your team? Or are you going to kind of forever be crushed under the weight of the bigger organization if that leadership is unwilling to change? Well, we just saw this and I cannot use names, but it is a global brand. They have a presence in Latin America, Asia, the US, Europe, everywhere. And they have made a lot of noise globally about really being the best culture in their space. They had an old CEO go out, a new one come in and make a lot of noise about how he was going to clean up the culture. We got brought in to do a completely side project. The side project was under the auspices of their um, their head of HR who wanted to look at what is the emotional health of the organization. And we went to the layer right underneath the C-suite and we had about 12 uh, focus groups across the planet in which people just underneath the C-suite were there ostensibly to talk about their observations of the employee 
experience. And Mamie, I know you've probably had this experience where you walk into a room, you shut the door, and there is an onslaught of angst in the room. Mm -hmm. And it is so strong and visceral and so overpowering. What is not addressed will just fester. And that's kind of what you're talking about. Like, if you're not the C-suite, is it enough for you to just do this for yourself? A, a, A couple things have to happen. For you to be doing it for yourself, you have to be doing it for the people underneath you because it's not just going to stop with your group, right? It's going to carry out into the groups they work with. In terms of learning how to manage upwards, that's part of why having a coach, a mentor, someone that there's a structured relationship with and weekly conversations about what's happening You absolutely need to get an objective voice in to help you manage up most effectively because it's not going to go away. And you start to have a choice, right? Do I leave? Well, do you really think there are like enlightened people elsewhere or is this part of the human condition? Right. And I I would argue this is actually part of the human condition. And our task is not to look for that panacea or that work utopia where everyone's enlightened and everyone is cleaning up their bad patterns learned from childhood. But really, it's about how do I optimize what I'm working with right now? And so I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's my strongest uh, contention. The other thing I will say about the client I brought up as an example, that onslaught of angst was all about the C-suite and all about the lip service that's happening from the top, but none of the hard choices are being made to get rid of the people in the C-suite that create the toxic environment. Now, what's interesting is that most of us won't say that to the CEO, right? Most of us won't speak hard truths to our leader. And I think that's part of the problem. I think it's a problem in our politics. I think it's a problem in our relationships. And I think it's a problem at work. I just spent the weekend with a friend of mine who's an executive director at one of the world's most respected PR firms. And She was saying, I'm so tired of having to carefully craft every email and do all this CYA because people are so afraid of having their feelings hurt. They're so afraid of the power struggle. And what we're really talking about, because all of this converges on the same thing. Are we fostering a human and generative culture? And case upon case upon case, the answer is no. We are not. We are in CYA mode. We are in fear mode. And so it's kind of like, when do we stop being part of the problem by kowtowing to it? So when we're a leader, that's really the, the moment that we have to step forward and start to speak some hard truths. And that includes speaking some hard truths to the CEO. So I know you said that it's part of the human condition to kind of lead the way that we do for many of us to to not be, you know, stellar leaders from birth. But I'm hoping you can share a story about a manager who you had the pleasure and privilege of working with and for and what made this person so great to be working with. Oh my God, I have a favorite conversation about this and it's not a steer it, uh, not as at Facebook now. And she's had 
just a skyrocketing career. I think I was 30 when I worked for Nada. We were at AOL and she was a category lead and I was in BizDev for her. And we were there during the period that AOL had acquired Time Warner. And there was so much frisson about old school media, that they thought they were better than new media and the internet. And the AOL folks were like, oh, you guys are dinosaurs, et cetera. So it was really a loaded time. And part of what was happening was there was no clear power structure. There was no clear who is in control, who's calling the shots. And we had three presidents in like six months. Like it was that kind of constant turnover because no one really had the gravitas to straddle those two worlds. And Nada was so genius because everyone else was in this spin and swirl of politics. What's going to happen? I don't know. Protecting turf, right? Protecting who's the most powerful, who's got the most influence, who's who's the most in the in crowd, right? In the C-suite and stuff. And Nada was so smart because Nada kept her eye on her job. And I went to her and I was like, Nada, things are a mess. Everyone's talking constantly about what's happening next, et cetera, et cetera. She said, no, what, Tevis, worry about what's yours to worry about. She was like, keep your eye on the goal, get up every day, come in and do a great job, say what you really think, and then go home and be glad you're home. Like it was like really cut and dried that if we do our jobs and we speak our truth and we say what we really see, right, that we're completely aligned and in integrity, not only with our work commitments, but with what we see as being our role as a contributor culturally, right? Which doesn't mean we sit around and we complain and we throw people under the bus, but really being able to call things as we see them, be done with it and go and get our jobs done. And so she has been a role model to me and just about everything that I've taken on both in my corporate career since working with her, but also in starting a company 17 years ago. I still think back to those words of wisdom and I look at how she's been able to navigate her own career. And no one would tell you that she keeps her mouth shut or doesn't say what she really thinks is going on, but she also really performs. And I think that's really key that she's not squandering brain power and energy on the drama, right? She's not getting sucked into it. She keeps her eye on the goal. And I think that's really something that all of us can learn from. Fantastic. What a great and inspiring person. What a what a wonderful thing. Now, can you tell us where people can learn more about you? You can find me at our site, which is balanceintegration.com. We are the culture company. So if you would like help with your culture, I promise you we will be honest and strong and thoughtful with you. You can also find me on Twitter at Corporate Yogi and Insta is Balance Integ. We're also on Facebook is Balance Integration. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tavis. This was fascinating to kind of rethink employee engagement from the top down. Thank you so much, Mamie. 
Tevis has provided a fantastic checklist to members of the Modern Manager community. You get the Balance Integrations Keep It Real Checklist. 12 Things Modern Managers Do to Build Trust. When you join, you get that checklist, plus dozens of other guest bonuses, including Steve's incredible offer of those three diagnostics and the debrief. So to join, go to mamieks.com slash join. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash join. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. To do that, go to mamieks.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.